Hey everyone, welcome to Way of Life Podcast, where we firmly believe that everyone picks a way in life and what way you pick is extremely important and directly affects how you live. In this podcast, we seek to interview people from all around Australia and beyond on life's most important topics. Whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or someone with a whole heap of questions, this podcast is for you. My name is Matt, a pastor living in Brisbane, Australia. This is Way of Life Podcast. So we're going to go to some questions now. Uh, Sam, once again, thank you so much for being willing to do this. Um, so our, I'll get straight into it. Our top voted question at the moment is a good question is, uh, the world has started developing more individuality and fear that religious people will reject them for who they are. How, how would you approach them? Um, <laughs> so again, we could ask, well, why does someone ask this question? But because I can't ask that person, why do you yeah. ask this question? I think there's a big distinction between loving, welcoming, and having to agree or approve. And I talk about how with Christianity, we can practice true inclusiveness. We can practice true love. Jesus says to his disciples, don't just love your friends. Anyone can do that. You've got to love your enemies. Yeah. Love the people who hate you, who disagree with you, who don't hold your same views. That's what true love is. So that's unconditional love. Conditional love is where you only love those who agree with you. Unconditional love is where you love those who disagree with you, who are different from you. Jesus also told us to practice true inclusiveness. And he himself ate and drank with those he disagreed with, his religious opponents. And that's true inclusion. Uh, If we only eat and drink with those we agree with, that's exclusion true mm. inclusiveness is including your friends and your enemies or people with different views worldviews religions traditions beliefs and so that means christianity means we accept the individual you know like properly truly in the same way jesus does yeah. and that's where we can practice the distinction between love um and everything without having to agree and approve an example i give is i flip it around i have a friend in brisbane who's a pastor and when he became a Christian, my friend Rohan, his gay atheist uncle turned up to Rohan's baptism. Mm. And at that moment, everyone's not saying to the gay atheist uncle, what do you think you're doing? You know, um, you know, you know <laughs> have, have you become a Christian? No, Hopefully no, not. He, he still disagrees with Rohan's worldview and beliefs, yeah. um, but he's turning up at that moment to show his love and honour for his nephew. And we can do the same thing. We can love and honour uh, our friends yeah. and accept them as the individuals they are without having to agree or approve of what they believe in. Yeah, that's really good. There's actually a question probably that would be pretty good to follow up with. There's a question that says, what would you say to Christians who think it's wrong to go to non-Christian events because people might get, for instance, drunk? And how can you show Jesus in those environments? Yeah, so we can be Jesus, be like what Jesus did. And and so here's a great irony. We turn up to these things uh, not not because we approve of maybe the non-Christian behavior that might go on there. We turn up to these things because we don't approve on the non-Christian behavior and values that might go on there. So Jesus himself has asked these questions over and over again. He turns up to the feasts 
of sinners, sinners and, and tax collectors, yeah. and who knows what sinful behavior is going on in these places. And so the religious leaders say to Jesus and his disciples, why, why does your master eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, well, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the mm. sick who need a doctor. It's because they're tax collectors and sinners that Jesus goes and eats and drinks with them. It's the same with us. It's because our friends need Jesus. That's why we go and we hang out with them. And again, because we hang out with them doesn't mean we approve. Uh, so we can make this distinction. We also love the story. And I mentioned this in my book, how to talk about Jesus without becoming that guy. We love the story where Jesus went to Simon the Pharisee's house for dinner. During dinner, the woman washes Jesus' feet with her hair and perfume. And that's the moment we fixate on. But another Christian pastor said, did you notice the first part of the story? A Pharisee invited Jesus to his place for dinner and Jesus went. Meaning yeah. Jesus went to the house of his opponent to eat and drink with his opponent. And so Jesus went to someone's house whose views he would have disagreed with. Mm. And also we have the story of Zacchaeus, the ultimate conversion story in the book of Luke. That's a climax of Luke before Jesus goes into Jerusalem where you know, Jesus says, I am coming to your house to eat and drink with you. And in those days, he would have stayed in Zacchaeus' house for days. He would have been a house guest. And again, everyone goes, ah, oh, look at him. He's going to be the guest of a tax collector. Yeah. And, and again, Jesus is going not because he approves, but because he disapproves. So we're being Jesus at that moment. Yeah. Do you think there's just kind of my own follow-up question? Do you think there's any limits or certain things you shouldn't go to? Yeah. And in my book, I talk about all the nuances that go on with like, okay, on the one hand, we, we do what Jesus does. On the other hand, we're not Jesus. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and then we always love the stories of Jesus touching lepers. Oh, isn't that nice? Dude, if you and I touched a leper in those days, we would have become a leper. Like you <laughs> just don't do that. Yeah. We too would have become outcasts. We would have caught what the leper had. We love the story of Jesus raising Jairus's dead daughter. He touches her. Dude, if we had done that, we would have caught the disease that killed Jairus's daughter. We too would be dead. So on mm. the other hand, we're not Jesus. So if we hang around with tax collectors and sinners, there could be something infectious where we too have our moral compass affected. And so mm. on the other hand, we, we need to be Jesus, but we need to be wise as well in what we do. And I think that's where motive and intent is very important. Why are we going? Yeah. So like my friend Rohan, his gay atheist uncle turning up to Rohan's baptism. Why is the uncle turning up? Not because he wants to change his beliefs, but because he wants to love and honor. And that's why we're going. And we could even push it further and say, well, we should keep ourselves accountable. Tell a Christian yeah. friend or our minister, hey, I'm going to this uh, for this reason. Uh, keep me accountable, please. Check in with me a week later and ask me how it all went. Yeah, no, that's really good, helpful. Um, we've got another question uh, that asks, you talked about the power of dialogue rather than monologue in uh, evangelicalism. Um, how do you create fruitful questions that are loving but not kind of too forced? Yeah, and I think we have to treat the other person like a human being, not a means towards <laughs> an end. Stuff. And so that's oh, it's it's the power of um, social awareness, isn't yeah. it? Like um, reading the situation. Is this a one talent moment, three talent moment, five yeah. talent moment? Proverbs says sometimes answer 
Don't give an answer. Proverbs doesn't say what's true or false, what's right or wrong, but what's wise. What is the wise question? How do I read this situation? And we can sense it. It's a vibe thing. It's an art thing, not a science. But counselors do it all the time, just through questions. And they can tell if someone closes up that they don't want to do any more talking. Mm. And I've had similar experiences. So on planes, I'll talk to someone, tell me more, tell me about your faith, Um, you know, and this person... They won't stop talking. So they really, really want to stay in this space and talk yep. about spirituality, obviously knowing that they make themselves open and vulnerable. Um, they too have to open the conversation to me talking about my faith. I once sat on a plane next to another guy. He had just gone to a, a Buddhist retreat. And I said, wow, tell me more. And there's no way he wanted to talk more about the retreat. He just went on. So I thought, okay, you know what? He doesn't want to talk. I need, yeah. I, I need to read the moment and, yeah. and respect that. Yeah. Read the moment. Um, this is a good one. I think I've, I've met many, many people with this question, but how do you talk with a family member who does not want to talk about God? Yeah, and I think the Bible has so many verses where believers are related to non-believers. So in 1 Peter, you have the situation where uh, where believing wives are married to non-believing husbands. And I think these situations, we recognize them for how tricky they are. One, there's nothing more we can say. There's nothing more we've said that they haven't heard already. Yeah. And even if we say anything more, they're not listening. They don't want to listen. So I think we just got to understand we've been brought up in a world where evangelism meant monologue. Like I need to say something. I need to give them more facts, more evidence, more data. But here it really could be just ask questions like, wow, tell me more. Why do you feel that way? You know, we can actually say to our relative. But the other thing is the Bible says we can win them over without words. And I think we all know what that means. At that moment, be present, be, be a safe, understanding, empathetic person in their life. Be the de facto chaplain in their life. In the book, I share about how my friend Craig was a chaplain in the Australian army. He, a lot of bad stuff happened. So he was ministering a lot to the soldiers, but the commanding officer was anti-Christian, anti-religion, no time for Craig or the chaplain. But one day the commanding officer tells Craig to come into his room, close the door, sit down. And then he says to Craig, the chaplain, please pray for me. And my chaplain friends say, this is exactly how it works. People have their defenses up. They hate you. They don't want you to be there. But in a time of crisis, the wars come down. Suddenly they want to talk to you. They want Mm. you to speak on behalf of God. They want you to pray for them. They want you to bring meaning in a time of crisis. And I think even our most hostile non-believing relative will have a moment like that where they know where the person they can turn to to talk on behalf of God when that happens. Yeah. That's that's really helpful. Um, I I suppose prayer would be quite helpful in that yeah, situation. Yeah, so obviously everything we've said tonight, the one hour of conversation we've had tonight presumes prayer Yeah, and, and, you know, the overarching sovereignty of God, his spirit working in the hearts of everyone. And at the same time, what can we do to play our part in God's plans? And that's what we're yeah. talking about here. And people have also pointed out with non-believing relatives, one really good prayer point is that we pray that God will bring more Christian friends into our relatives' life. Yeah. Especially when it's a relative who's older than us, like an uncle 
or parent, uh, often because we're younger, they're not going to respect what we say so much when it comes to words, but maybe God can bring another Christian friend into their life. Yeah, that's really good. No, I like that it's all premised upon prayer. That's really, really good. Um, we've got a couple more questions. How, how can we fit into a secular culture without being the weird Christian but not compromising on our Christian values uh, and being the difference, uh, like salt and light? Yeah, often it's, it's that saying, what would Jesus do? Like Jesus hung out. He, he he was he was a Christian. He was Jesus, but he and he didn't compromise on his values. But he hung out. So I think it's a whole thing. How can I be salt? How can I be light mm. in this moment? Because that that is what I've been called to be. Yeah. How can I be the jar of clay that contains God's glory and God's presence? In other words, how can I be the unofficial de facto chaplain in this moment? I I, I think I think it, it's an attitude thing. Like like we always know who we are. Yeah. And, and why God has called us to be there in in that moment. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, final question. Um, I wanted to know if, do you think that there's, uh, do you think everyone is an evangelist? Or is it just uh, for the Billy Grahams and all those kind of people? Like, is it is it a call for every Christian or how, how do you navigate that? Yeah, I, I love to give the example that everyone in this room, and everyone watching right now, yeah. well, okay, not everyone, but everyone who is, we're all Australians. We're all Australians. <laughs> but what is an Australian? What is an Australian? Somehow, concretely, in every particular situation, it comes out completely different. You know, uh, we're all different, but somehow we're all Australians. Yeah. And somehow God has called us all to be the suffering preaching servant of Isaiah. He's called us to be all priests, according to 1 Peter. Yeah. And I think we've all been called to be evangelists, yeah. but we all manifest it completely differently. For some of us, we will be that person who gives the 20-minute Bible talk at a church event. For some of us, we will be that person who talks up to a stranger on a university campus. But for most of us, we will do it in our shy awkward ways uh, through dialogue, conversation, questions to our friends and relatives. So yeah. often we, we say, I'm not called to be evangelist because we think we're, we're, we're thinking of the 20 minute monologue. Yeah. And you're right. Most of us are not called to do that. Yeah. But the rest of us are called to be that shy, social, awkward <laughs> jar of clay yeah. to our friends and relatives. Uh, that's really good, Sam. Um, thank you for answering those questions. Um, I did want to plug you just a little bit. Um, you were telling me uh, earlier today that you guys at City Bible Forum have actually got a really, really cool course uh, that's coming up called uh, Sharing Jesus at Work. I wondered if you might be able to tell us a little bit more about that because, I mean, in a, in a secular age where uh, there isn't usually a Christian workplace per se, that's this is a really, really good topic to cover. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So for those of us in paid work, we spend most of our work, most of our life at work. And so most of our non-believing friends come from work. So how can we tell our non-believing friends at work about Jesus? And that's what City Bible Forum tries to do. We equip Christians 
to reach the world through the workplace by telling their friends at work about Jesus. One way is you can sign up for this course. It's a really easy course. It's called How to Share Jesus at Work. It's got me giving, I think, nine very short videos. This is the new norm, TikTok videos, right? Each video is less than like 10 minutes. It's only eight minutes. And, and then followed by some discussion questions. Yep. So eight lessons with short videos on me by me on how to share Jesus at work with discuss, discussion questions afterwards. So even my own church's adult group, we're going through these right now to yep. access it. Um, it's a really easy URL. It's, it's plus.citybibleforum.org slash share Jesus. Yep. So plus.citybibleforum.org slash share Jesus. Yep. It's 20 bucks to sign up for nine videos. That's and good. even my own church, what we're doing is we just got the minister to sign up. We're all logging in on his account. <laughs> so even we're not. <laughs> so I feel like it's, it's the not Australian about, for way. us, it's not about making money. It's just equipping as many Christians yeah. as possible to share Jesus at work. Oh, great. Well, we'll put that in the, in the, in the information section for you as well. And um, have you got any, uh, any books that you're, you're writing at the moment or anything new coming out, Sam? Oh, well, once again, the one that's just come out is the one that we all know and love, how to, sh- how to talk about Jesus without becoming that guy. Okay. But in <laughs> December, just in time for Christmas, there's one on topical preaching in a complex world, how to proclaim truth and relevance at the same time. Yep. So if, you, if you've ever heard me speak, you know, more often than not now, because I'm speaking to non-believers in secular places, they're, they're topical talks. And yep. if you think, I wonder, what, what is the machine behind the mind? What is the madness behind the method? Yep. Well, this, this book unlocks the method of how to, how to preach topical sermons in a complex world, truth and relevance at the same time. <laughs> That's good. It sounds rehearsed. It's great. No, <laughs> um, no thank you so much, Sam, um, for joining us on Way of Life podcast. Um, it was such a pleasure to have you. Um, and for, again, those of you who are watching on in the future, if you found this helpful, we'd love for you to be able to share that and let us know what you thought. Uh, we don't want to be popular per se, but uh, we just want this to, to benefit as many people as possible. But once again, Sam, stick around. I want to talk to you for a little bit, but for us all, let's let's give him a hand. He can actually see you. <laughs>